I can probably tell you now the worst job that I ever did. Um, and it was during a period of striking, right? Um, and it was back in the 80s probably. I was in America and I'd come back to Britain for some reason or other. can't remember why. But there was a strike on um, at one of the papers. Right. right. I'm not going to tell you which one. And um, I went down to sort of go inside to see the, uh, the, the editor. And there were people outside picketing, yeah. right? Um, and I knew them, a couple of them. Yeah. And they were like, oh, yeah, we're really hoping that you won't come and do any shifts here because <laughs> I'd heard there was loads of shifts going because everyone was fucking strike. Yeah. Um, and I said, well, I need to make some money. You know, yeah. I'm back in London for a couple of weeks. I need to make some money. I can't look forward to just not work. <laughs> and they said, well, why don't you try over there? Because yeah. it was all in Fleet Street, you know. So I, I thought, thought about it. Then I got on the phone to the editor. who said, um, yeah, can you, do, uh, can you do a job for us? Yeah. So I kind of like, you know, I was very young. I was 20-something. Right? I yeah. said, well, yeah, okay. And it was at the time, you might not remember this, but it was a guy called The Fox yeah. who was like a serial killer or oh, a, serial, yes, no, um, remember, yeah. a serial fucking, philant- what do you yeah. call it, rapist or something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. And it was somewhere up in Hertfordshire, right. I think. And I couldn't drive in those days, right? I had no driving license, no car. Yeah. Um, I somehow found my... I didn't know money either. Yeah. I somehow found myself up in this um, area and sort of ran into a few of the... Um, through the few of the guys that were also there, who I also knew. Yeah. And I said, and they said, who are you here for? And I couldn't tell them. Yeah. So I had to say I was from America. I yeah. said, I'm covering it for the star in America. Yeah. And they were kind of looking at me like, why would they be fucking interested in this story? You know? <laughs> well, because it's quite a good story. I don't know. Yeah. But I didn't have any money. I didn't know where to stay. So I, I, I spent most of the evening in a pub yeah. with the all rest of the guys playing pool, drinking, right? But it came to kind of 10, 11 o'clock at night. And I didn't have anywhere to go. <laughs> So I didn't have any money, I didn't have any credit cards, there was nothing. I mean, it was yeah. just in 1985 or something. And I found my way to the sort of cricket pavilion yeah. on the village green. <laughs> Is it like Harpenden or something like that? Right. And I thought, I'll just go to sleep in there. <laughs> you know. <laughs> and I said, before that, in the afternoon, I'd been sort of going around knocking on people's houses, you know. And apparently, unbeknownst to me, I bore a bit of a striking resemblance to the guy they were looking for. <laughs> So I was awoken at about three o'clock in the morning yeah. by two ma- members of Her Majesty's police <laughs> sh- shaking me, going, "Go wake up! Wait, I said, what are you doing?" Yeah, I said, "What do you mean? What about fucking having to sleep? What are you doing sleeping here?" I said, "Well, because I haven't got nowhere else to sleep." Yeah. I said, well, well, who are you? I said, well, "I'm a journalist," and they're like, "Who are you working for?" Yeah. And I said, "I'm working for Star Magazine in America," and they were like, "Oh yeah." I mean, it was fucking bad news because they yeah. said people have been reporting you, been knocking on their doors. Yeah. Looking, you know, looking suspicious. Looking dodgy. Looking dodgy. I don't think I even had an NUJ card at the time, right? And I had, it was all I could do to convince them that literally, yeah. you know, you were not I, was, the I was not the fox and I was not fucking breaking into people's houses yeah. and I was not either murdering or raping yeah. anyone. That'd you know? be a great novel, wouldn't it? But it would. If you were... Well, if they'd arrested if, me. No, if you were... Uh... If you were the fox, yeah, but then you were also the journalist. Oh yeah, to hunt down the fox. Yes, now that, that would, would be, be that would be. Wouldn't good. that be great? I came up with a great plot line for a novel actually the other day, and I've now completely forgot. I just always write these things yes, down. Yes, no, definitely. Because I completely now forgot definitely. what it was. Isn't it weird? Because you think that right, I'm going to remember that, remember mm. that, remember that, and by the time you said it four times, you yeah. can't remember. I actually wrote a novel which has never been published, yeah. um, back in the day when I was fired by the Express. Right. Because I had some time. On what was hands. it about? It was about a newspaper, of course, because yeah. it's the only thing I knew about. Yeah. It. And it was based around some of the people that I knew at the paper. Yeah. But the story was that basically the, the, one, of the, one of the features editors was so horrible that somebody killed them. Right. And it was like a sort a of murder. Like yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it's not unbelievable, is it? No, I mean, it's a so. murder mystery. She had a house in France. Yeah. And somehow 
one of the people that worked for her found out exactly where the house was yeah. and learned that she used to take her dogs out walking quite often right. and quite often in the sort of gloomy, murky sort of early evening. And he basically ran her over in a Land Rover. Right. Killed her. God, well, I've known people. And got the who, job. I mean, if that happens... And then got some, the job. Some of the journalists I work with, it'd be like murder on the Orient Express. <laughs> the whole the whole newsroom would be yeah, suspect. exactly. Yeah. So that was probably my worst, that was I yours. think. I because, was to, uh, yeah. And I ended up, I had to sort of run, turn tail and run back to London. And just go, well, I couldn't... Couldn't go back, could I? Bloody hell. Fucking well, hell. I was once... So, I was uh, while I was at the Mirror, I, I thought I'd, I'd transition into TV, right? So, yeah. I started to do bits and pieces of oh, TV. Yeah. And uh, Richard and Judy mm. were interested yes. in my services. and okay. used to get me on... Because I used to write... A so, what would you go on as? So, I used to write this technology called okay. Kelly's Eye. I remember that. With the eye... Was yeah, I remember that. Eye. Yeah. Right, so... It was really... It was the first te- uh, internet call. Did you know at that time that the eye... Would become such a sort of you know marketable thing. Well, because yeah, because it was already it was already being used was as like a sort IMAX of six, yeah, already exactly around, yeah. That. What I didn't know, right, and this is where this is there's a funny story applied to this. So, I, Piers had said to me, you know, write a column about the yeah. internet if you're so interested in it, because right. I was really into it. Yeah. And so I, we worked away and away for dummies and yeah, loads yeah. of trials. And the one thing we couldn't get was a name for the column. Mm. Came up with Wired. Then we found out there was a magazine yeah. called Wired, and right. you know, went on and on. And yeah, the, I remember Kelly's eye. I completely so forgot about it. the day before we launched, yeah. right, still haven't got a name. Right. We had a sort of working title. can't remember what it was. And Piers came in and said, I've got the name. Right. It's going to be Kelly's eye. Right. And we'll, instead, the eye will be like the letter I. You know, right. I thought, fantastic. Right. Yeah. Because, of course, if your name is on the column, yes. then you've, it's, you, know, you feel... They can't just give it to anyone. Exactly. Yeah. It's got a good shelf right. life. And uh, and indeed, it subsequently became Lalani's eye, which <laughs> That's did, right, didn't, which didn't quite work have the same ring. No, but anyway, so we launched the column, and then about three or four days later, I get loads of letters right. to the post. This was before email really right. taken off, and most of them were from medical students and right. doctors saying, "We do love the column, but you you know that Kelly's eye is medical shorthand for the arsehole, don't you?" <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I didn't know that. So, well, you didn't know it. I didn't know it, but I'm pretty sure Piers knew it because at the time, his no. wife was a was a senior was a, nurse. Was a nurse, yeah, was a matron or whatever. So, I surely knew- not. Yes. A funny story for you on the drink front because I've got teenage uh, kids now, as, as you will soon have. <laughs> yeah. I dare say. Well, my um, eldest is a teenager now. Well, there 14. you go. 14. Yeah. Well, listen, you're about to enter the world of teenage dumb yeah. in that case because my older daughter has rather unwisely told my 15-year-old son... Is this Emma? Yeah. Yeah. ...that I gave her her first drink when she was 14, which is entirely true. Yeah. But it was under sort of controlled circumstances. Yeah. You know, my sister used to have a New Year's Eve party in Connecticut. Yeah. And my daughter and my son would be the kind of waiters, and they yeah. used to make tips. They'd make quite a lot of tips, in fact, because yeah. Murray's rich socialist friends would always hand out money, you know. So they'd make a couple of hundred dollars, yeah. you know, just handing, you know, taking <laughs> ashtrays, handing yeah. out drinks, pouring yeah. drinks... So I said to her, well, you can have a glass of champagne. And so she did. But she, of course, she told my 15-year-old son this, who now thinks he's entitled to have a drink. Yeah. However, rather than doing it under the sort of care of his parents, it turned out that on his birthday, his 15th birthday, he somehow got his hands on the amaretto bottle, which oh. was in... Not, I mean, I don't want to live oh. in a place where I lock up my no. booze, right? Yeah, quite. But I've now said to him, you know, I may have to do that, which would not please me. Mm. He drank about a third of a bottle of amaretto. Oh, not amaretto. Now, amaretto is about oh. the sickest and most yeah. awful liqueur drink. Oh, that would put you off it for I mean, if life. I have one, 
yeah. I'm already kind of wretched. No, too much. It's not really my it's got thing. It's got to be ice cold as well. It's a bit like, um, what's that, Zambuca. Oh, you know? God, yeah. I mean, I've taken to drink, I mean, some of the nights I've been really crazed, I've been drinking yeah. like black Zambuca. Oh. And I insist on them bringing me coffee beans so I can set fire to it. Yeah. I mean, you know, well, at least pissed. that burns some of the alcohol. Off. Well, yeah, but can you imagine how pissed you have to be to want to set fire to your drink? Yeah. Pretty Otherwise, pretty I'm not having it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if you, got any, if you haven't got any coffee beans and you can't set yeah. fire to it, yeah. I don't want it. Bugger off. You know. Um, <laughs> anyway, so he was sick as a dog. His mother thought, this was, and it was a Sunday night, so I'd already come back up to town. And she texted me the next morning to say, oh, I said, how's it? Well, yeah, it wasn't a great night. You know, he spent about an hour throwing up between two and three in the morning. Yeah. And she thought it's because he'd eaten some dodgy Chinese food. We've yeah. got this horrible uh, all-you-can-eat buffet yeah. in uh, Hastings. Which Did you was... let her keep that delusion? Well, right. I didn't know any different. I just right. said, well, we all ate the same food. Yeah. She didn't because she's a vegetarian. Right. I said, but I, I was fine. I said, right. I don't know what, you know. Anyway, but now it all makes sense because yeah. he drank a third of a lot of fucking Sambuca. And it all smelt of almonds. Well, she didn't know. She didn't pick that up at oh. the time. Because I, I said that to her when we discovered what had happened. Because he finally con- con- yeah. Yeah, finally sort of uh, confessed. Yeah. And his reasoning was, well, you had your first drink when you were 14. I went, yeah. well, how do you know that? And he said, well, Emma told me. Yeah. <laughs> and, well, and she also told me that you gave her a drink yeah. when she was 14. Yeah. So what's so different about me? I remember the first time I got oh. legless was my dad's homebrew. Do you mm. remember in the 70s, yeah. everybody had their homebrew? Well, when I was at university, yeah. I, we made our own beer yeah. in the halls of residence. You couldn't get, you couldn't walk into Boots no. for all these dead yeah. Johns and cans. But, of, we, you know. but we had the kind of a crowd of us, right? And yeah. there was one guy who was sort of less, shall we say, smart than the rest of us. <laughs> yeah. And we made, we made him put it in his room because you had to keep yeah. the temperature. Oh, right. about, you And know, it used like, to ferment and bubble yeah. away like that. And it's, he walked yeah. open his, he opened his room and his yeah. warm air came yeah. out, yeah. smelling yeah. of hops. In the, we had it in the airing cupboard. Honestly, yeah. there was no towels or anything no, like that. It was just full of like latent booze. Yeah, and it was vile. And it I wasn't remember good. my mate um, Alistair Kennedy came over to help me paint my wall, mm. right, my bedroom, and uh, and so we got some of this red wine, homemade red yeah. wine. And my mum and dad found You're us. Like paint stripper. Oh, mate, honestly, it was there was spew all <laughs> of, like purple spew. All over the carpet. We decorate. We decorated the room all right. Loads of people used to make their own. We used to have people that we knew who made sort of nettle wine and yeah. shit like that. My mum and dad used to make yeah. elderflower, elderflower wine. Elderflower wine. That was quite nice, actually. Quite um, sweet. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it was all very odd. It was all yeah. a bit kind of like the good life gone wrong. But do you remember, like, the shit we used to drink in the in the 80s? Like, well, Liebfrommelsch and... Well, actually, know. when I was worse than that, when I was first drinking, it was in the 70s. Yeah. And there was the only two things you could ever get in terms of what well, there were no wine bars Blue Nun Blue Nun Matthias Rosé Matthias Rosé you know, in, in its little, little kind of yeah, yeah when I first used to start taking girls out yeah. you know that was the most sophisticated you could be yeah. was a bottle of Matthias Rosé yeah. <laughs> you know and you never knew how to pronounce it you know Matthias Rosé but no I, I got started actually on fucking Carlsberg Special Brew oh because I worked in this bakery the Hungarian yeah. bakery that I've mentioned yeah. before and the guy was this millionaire Hungarian who'd escaped from Hungary during the revolution, 1956. Yeah. yeah. And with only his recipe book, literally, yeah. and, had st- and had worked four jobs, yeah. ended up buying this confectionery shop in Hampstead. Yeah. And drove a blue Rolls Royce with gold. He was like sort of Trump-esque with his gold yeah. handles. The, the lady on the front was gold. Really? The boot was gold, you know. <laughs> and he used to start drinking at about seven in the morning. Yeah. Champagne. Verve Clicquot, always, right? Yeah. By about midday, he'd moved on to Carlsberg Special Brew. Yeah. And by about six o'clock, he was on the vodka. So oh, I was yeah. drinking Carlsberg. So Carlsberg Special Brew was, was our beer of choice. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so he, for Christmas, my four, I was 14. 
he gave me a case of Carlsberg Special Brew, right. which I took home and put under my bed. Drink it I didn't up, have mate. to hide it from yeah. my parents or anything, yeah. but I remember one night, um, we just got very, my, my sister worked there as well. Yeah. We got very pissed and it ended up going into the, the, the Three Horseshoes a pub in Hampstead, yeah. which I don't think is there anymore. Um, because we knew all the pub owners and all the restaurant owners. Yeah. So they, I mean, I looked about 10, yeah, yeah. never mind being 14. Well, I used to drink at 14 yeah. in pubs. Yeah. Like, pints of mild, you know, yeah. for 46. And I remember there was a bit at the back, and we had all these cakes, and we were walking, we were, it was Christmas Eve, I think, and so yeah. we, were, we were off the next day, walking, and we were going to walk home, take all this stuff home. And I remember standing up in this pub, and just falling straight backwards, <laughs> because I was off my face, you know. Cakes went everywhere. My sister then had to well, help me home. And my parents, my mother in those days had an MG midget, so yeah. you couldn't get in the car. Yeah. There was any, and they passed us on the way home. And I was literally, you know, <laughs> unable to walk. And when I got home, I just puked everywhere. Did you, did you used to get the whirlies? Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, the black swirlies. Oh, lying in bed. Lying in bed. Trying to put like a, around. putting a foot yeah. on the floor or something like that. Yeah. I don't think there's a worse feeling in, no. the, in the world. No. But you sort of drink your way through it, don't yeah. you? Yeah. You sort of work through it. Well, that. you soon kind of get used to it. But also, when I was younger... Definitely, it was much more likely that if I got very pissed, I would throw up. Yeah. Um, and, yes. and then And then and then I had to stop. Then yeah. later on in life, I would get to the point where I could throw up and then go back. I keep going, yeah. And now I don't throw up. I, used, I had a mate called Ian Lindsay who we used to we used to go from Formby on a night out down to Southport Casino, right. and invariably days because you used to get three life. drinks and free kind of uh, they used to do roast beef, toasted oh, yeah. sandwiches, yeah, and stuff. Yeah. And you just ask the girl right. for being as you know whatever. And we'd always lose everything. And yeah, then, but you uh, thought it was great because you got free drinks. Oh yeah, food. of course. Yeah, a few, a few bottles yeah. of beer and a, and a sandwich. Yeah. You know? And then we'd Ian, <laughs> Ian would then go and beg the manager for yeah. a taxi chit to get right. us home. Right. But right. if the manager was in a bad mood, say no. He'd have to know? walk. And we'd walk yeah. the like nine miles oh. down the railway track from. Jesus. I mean, honestly, it sounds like something out of a Steinbeck it's horror story. So, you stand by me. Yeah. Like that. No, like exactly. Walking, uh, we walk and we'd yeah. sort of get back to Formby at about dawn. But I'm trying to get into TV. Right. Richard and Judy get me on now and again as a right. tech reporter, right? And Did they use Kelly's eye as the... They uh, said, you know, Matt Kelly from, from the famous Mirror Column, Arsehole. <laughs> <laughs> the That's mirror great. Arsehole. But then, then they said, we want you to do... Uh, we want you to go to France, right? right. With a TV crew. Right. Because we've heard that there's a, a plastic, an all-plastic gun right. that you can buy in right. France, right? And you can smuggle it through uh-huh. to, uh, and it won't set off airport right. detectors, right? So a big scandal. Right. And it was it was just around after the time of nine eleven, right? Yeah. So it was like a major thing. So it went off like with a full blown TV crew, yeah. director, cameraman, all this sound. So it was very good. The if you're trying thing. to be incognito. Isn't yeah, it? yeah. So and you follow around for it. camera. Crew. So this is this is the point, right? So the first thing is. We go, they said, they gave me, this is what's going to happen. We're going to go, we'll, sh- we'll record a piece by the Eiffel Tower where right. you set it up. Then we're going to go and buy the thing in right. this gun shop, right? right? So we've got that sorted. Then we're going to go to the firing range, mm-hmm. right? There's a firing range where we'll, like Day of the Jackal, yeah. we will hang a watermelon, right. right? And you will demonstrate the power of this gun <laughs> by, by blowing the watermelon. Of course you are. Right? Yeah, of course you so can do that, right? Then we're going to destroy the gun, right? Right? Because obviously we're not going to smuggle a gun through right. the airport. But to demonstrate that we could, we're going to smuggle through a plastic Eiffel Tower. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because, so of I, course, I, we're I, looking for one of those. Very rare. Yeah. Taking a, a plastic Eiffel Tower through customs. <laughs> so anyway, so I'm yeah, like, okay, well, like, such, such was my desire to be on, on the screen. I yeah. was like, yeah, whatever. 
So we get to the Eiffel Tower. Every element of this goes disastrously right. wrong. Right? We get to the Eiffel Tower, and we are immediately set upon by this gang of youths right. like, who just want to fight right. Right? and come over and start pushing us around and all of this business. Taking the, I have to. Are they trying to steal the camera? They're stuff? trying to steal everything. My right. jacket, everything. Right. Right? They, I mean, they're just like yobs. Mm. Uh, so. Not only am I sort of like on take 69 of this right. thing, right, but the thing is overrunning massively, right. in danger of missing our, our flight. We then go to the gun shop, right? right? And the fellas, the, the guy who set this up, the producer says, it's all right, just walk in. He knows you're coming, right? right? Just ask for this gun, right? right? And it's on a piece of paper, right? So I go into, it's a small gun shop, right. like a newsagent size right. thing. And they're right? actually selling guns. I mean, yeah, I didn't know you could see that in front. gun shop, right? Yeah, right. But you need a license and right. everything, right? So we walk in. And this guy looks at me blankly as I tell him in pigeon French what I'm here yeah. for. And he, and he sort of shakes his head. No, <laughs> absolutely no idea what I'm there for. Right? Right. But we established Are that. Are you still being followed by the TV crew? No, no, no. The, no, I'm on my own. Right. So they sort of film me going in. Right. And then the idea is they'll film me walking out with the, with with the, the weapon. Right, yeah. okay. And so the guy says, uh, we established he's got one of these things. And now it's an orange, bright orange right. marine flare gun right, okay. is what it is. Right. right. And because it's marine, the idea is it's got no metal in, so right. it can't corrode, right? Okay. So, anyway. so he then says, okay, fill in this form, right, right of where you live. Uh -huh. And I go, uh, um, French address. And he says, yes, yes, you have to be French, right. French. Okay. So I, the only street I could remember, right, in <laughs> Paris was a street called the Rue des Martyrs, right? right. The, Rue, the Street of Martyrs, right, right. which okay. is in... Which is in um, What's that CD part up in well, the, uh, Montmartre? Montmartre, yeah. Seventh the Rondes. Right, right exactly. Yeah. And uh, but so I say that's where I live, and the right. fellow looks at me blankly, <laughs> and I say Rue du Martyr, and it, obviously I'm pronouncing yeah, it yeah. purposely wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so the guy's so the guy gets like the French A to Z out right. of this little red book, right. and and says, "Show me where you live." Right. right. So obviously I have no Fuck fucking no. idea where this place. Trust. I eventually find it, right. and he goes, "Ah, yeah, we were Rue and so. Astonishingly, right. lets me fill in the form right. and passes over this this gun in right. a box. Right, so I walk out with this orange marine flare right. thing. So far, so good. We then go to the uh, to the shooting range, right, right, and with a watermelon, right. So right. we walk in, and the fellas like, "What the hell do you think <laughs> you're doing?" Right, and so eventually they convince him right. to, to let us shoot this watermelon, right. and then it turns out that the the shooting range is also used by the presidential armed bodyguard right, okay. who happened to be in the stall next to us right. sh shooting practice right. and looking at these strange English people <laughs> with this flare gun a flare gun <laughs> trying to kill a watermelon right. Right. anyway so we do that and this is one of those things you use to firing to fire in the air flare, yeah. to so, show to, to get the, the SOS exa up exactly right. but it will also fire something else right, right. And, and like shots but not, not nothing that would right. go through you but right. it, would, it would injure you and then we go outside the shooting range mm. and I'm provided with a hammer, right, no. to smash this thing. Have, on you, the have you been able to? to yeah, no, we blew the watermelon. Oh, you did. Yeah, oh, really that's good. quite yeah. good. No, that was because I was I thought you were going to say that you kept missing it. No, 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 it's no. It's quite I, hard I, to do fire a gun. Well, not from two feet. It wasn't. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> so we go outside right. and on live on camera because obviously right. you can only do this once, right? Yeah. They give me the gun and they right. give me a hammer right. and I look to the camera and I say, and now to prove to yeah. you how why this would get through security. Yeah. I'm going to smash this apart. Mm. I smash it apart, right. and all of these metal springs start flying no, out. The thing was stuffed with metal. Right. Right. Anyway, so the producer says, oh, bollocks, we won't be able to 
do that. So take it by the get all the springs out the way, right? And we'll just shoot it as though you've already done it. Yeah, yeah. So so I'm there like now lying about right. the fact that there's no metal in in this thing. <laughs> and then I produce the plastic Eiffel Tower. Right. right. So obviously we're not going to sm- smuggle a gun through thing. What we are going to smuggle through is a plastic Eiffel Tower. Right. So here's the which is technically speaking, you're allowed to smuggle through because nobody's going to give a exactly. shit about a plastic Eiffel Tower. So we then you're going to insert it up the director's ass. Well, Kelly's eye. I'll tell you what, it, it nearly got shoved up this producer's <laughs> us because So we then get to Charles de Gaulle Airport for right. our flight home. And as we're checking in... It's a very weird airport, though, with all those yes. funny uh, escalators. I like there. it, though. It looks quite weird, doesn't bouncy, it? Yeah. Bouncy escalators. Yeah. yeah. Really nice. Travelators, I guess they Yes, right? made by Dunlop. Are they? They've got Dunlop logos on That's them. That's right, they have, yeah. yeah. But anyway, so we're there. We're checking into this mm. uh, BA flight. I think it was BA. And as we um, check in, the girl behind the checking thing says, "Are you the people from Channel Four? Yeah. Right. And I go, "How did how did she know that? Right. Right. And uh, and but the producer goes, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, that's us. Yeah. This is okay. Right. Right. And then she goes away and makes a phone call. Right. right. We're stood there waiting for our boarding passes. Mm. Next thing, the SRC, the French riot police, descend on us, right, and drag us away right. to a side room, mm. strip us down, mm. all the bags." opened and checked right. we're held in this holding pen right interviewed yeah. one by one right. about what are we doing there thank god they never looked at the footage right, right? because we just proclaimed innocence mm. right the air the plane itself is everyone is disembarked all the baggage put on the top right, right. i mean total total Bloody like hell. full-on operation and i'm sitting there thinking this is i'm going to lose my job yeah. here. i'm going to be in a french court tomorrow right. explaining why i I'm lying about living in France to yeah. buy a gun. Right. right, this is it. It all starts it's to look a bit over. shitty then. Suddenly, it? it looked terrible. Eventually, miraculously, they say, "Right, we can't find anything on you." On you go, right. So we get on the plane. And was and this as a result of you purchasing the gun? No, yet? this is the this is the kicker. Right, the producer had phoned Charles de Gaulle Airport right. the week before and said, "Hi, Air, I'm from the Richard and Judy show. We're going to do a piece about smuggling guns through airports." What a dickhead! Right. Well, is it okay to film in Charles de Gaulle Airport? Right. What a total so At which point the Charles de Gaulle Airport said, what flight are you on? Right. Oh, right, yeah, no, yeah, no problem. We'll see yeah, you when right, you get yeah. here. And, and, and honestly, so... How fucking idiotic is that? Mate, honestly, so we eventually we get back to London. Jesus and then Christ. the next day I have to go into this uh, into the studio yeah. and, and pretend everything was normal. But did they run the piece? They ran the piece right. and I sat there... Complete well, with the fake hammer. Mate, no, no, not the fake hammer, with the fucking Eiffel Tower. Right. <laughs> And Richard, Richard looking at the Eiffel Tower and saying, that could so easily have been a gun, couldn't it? And we go, yeah, yeah, but it wasn't, was it? Well, I had a day from hell yesterday, which is, which is always <laughs> to be easily predicted as a day from hell, because it's the day we decide to get the Christmas tree. Right? Oh, my God. And my household, I don't know what it is, always becomes an absolute and utter hellhole. Yeah. Um, and I'd been saying, sort of for a couple of hours in the morning, we need to go, we're going to take two cars. This is how... Green we all are right down in Sussex. So, so we need two cars because yeah. we've got the dog. We've got to take the dog for a walk in the woods. We've got the two kids, and we're going to pick up a big tree. Yeah. Right. So yeah. basically, you're going to bring your car to put the tree in. You can take the dog out, and I'll I'll bring the dog back. 
So we go to this place, right? We wander about. We take the dog out for a walk. Beautiful woods, a place called Powder Mill Woods. It's really nice. Mm. Um, it's famously, actually, in uh, in battle, a place called Powder Mill Lane, right? Which was where they made the gunpowder oh. for uh, old Guido Fawkes's um, oh, really? plan to blow up Parliament. Yeah, very nice. Apparently, in those days, that was the place to buy gunpowder. That was the yeah. It was the bespoke Savile Row of you of know gunpowder. <laughs> of gunpowder. <laughs> That's why it's called what it's called. Anyway, so we come out of there, and I'm not going to in any way um, sort of denigrate the mother of my children, but she does sometimes have trouble making a decision, right? <laughs> and uh, so we go to this very hillbilly-type uh, place where there's a bloke with no, t- no front teeth yeah. um, and a little wooden shack and a load of trees, right? And <laughs> yeah. um, this is a place we've been trying to buy wood from for ages. Right. But there's never anybody there. Right. And there's a guy who has his card. Oh, please contact me by email or phone. No chance. Nothing. We've been trying to get hold of this guy for September. <laughs> I said to this guy, I said, are you the guy in charge of the wood as well? He went, no, that's not me. I'm just here for the trees. <laughs> so there's a wood for the trees joke there somewhere. Yeah, there's somewhere, yeah. Anyway, so we wonder about. He then starts following us around and sort of offering his trees. She hates this, right? She says to me uh, to the side, look, I don't like this guy no, pressuring me. I agree with that. I don't want that. Yeah, you want I'm to like, pick your own tree. He's not pressuring you. He's just showing you the tree. Yeah, but you want to be able to find your yeah, tree, yeah. don't you? Like a great Christmas tree is a discovery, isn't it? It really it's, is. It's the great one yeah. that's hiding with all the manky yeah. ones. You it know? really yeah. is. Yeah. But these are lovely trees. They're all locally grown right. and they're all very sort of, you know, eco-friendly because it's quite nice like that down yeah there. anyway we have to leave there and as we're leaving it's typically sort of british thing right we get back in the two cars because we have to go to a different tree place which is another tree farm so you didn't a buy a tree we didn't buy one because of this creepy well bloke. she didn't like it right? right fair enough and then she says as we're getting back into the cars we could never go back there <laughs> i'm like Listen, the dog loves it here she's like no That's we can it. never come back <laughs> She's like, I didn't like him. I'm like, what are you talking about? Yeah. You know, we can't do that. Anyway, so we drive oh off God. a bit further and find this other Christmas tree farm, which used to be quite small, but is now expanded massively, so much so that you're now rerouted as you drive in around the back of a house and down into a car park. Right. We then do all that. I get into the car park, which is basically just a bit of scrubland. People are parked wherever they want to park. Um, but there's a guy there who's like somebody out of um, one of those festival parking places, you know. Yeah. I park the car. He comes and taps on the window. Oh. You know. Excuse me. He tapped on the tapped window. Tapped on the window. I wouldn't right? be having that. Well, I wasn't happy. No. Um, and he, I, I put the window down. Can you please park more to the side? I said, uh, sorry, what do you mean? Can you park more to the side? I said, which side? He said, to the <laughs> side, left or right. I said, well, which is it? Left or right? What do you want? Yeah. He says, we're very busy and you need to, the cars need to be closer together. Right. And I was at that point, I'm thinking... You know what, mate? Yeah. I'm about to spend quite a lot of money here. I'm going to fuck off. I'm yeah. just going to drive away. But yeah. I thought, can you imagine if I drive away from the second from the place? the second Christmas tree. What chance have we got You're of getting be, a Christmas tree? You'll end up in Hampshire. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, or Norway or somewhere, right? <laughs> so, so I kind of reluctantly do it. She has to do the same. Yeah. Right? And, of course, there's miles and miles of parking. It's not like there's any danger of... No, yeah. And I thought to, I thought to, of, to, of saying to the guy, look, here's what, tell you what, here's my car key. If you need to move the car... Like some kind Would of valet parking Would you thing. do that? Well, in valet parking, you give people a key in America all the time. Yeah, but not to some bloke in you know a what car, I discovered Christmas about tree car park. Because he then walks in front of me. He was wearing fucking clogs. <laughs> I'm not joking. Clogs. And then I thought, maybe he's Dutch. I think he yeah, was Dutch. Because right. he sounded a bit Dutch. Because he was wearing clogs. Well, and he sounded Dutch. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, so do they all wear clogs? Well, I've never, I mean, the only place I've ever seen clogs, right, yeah. is Schiphol Airport. Yeah, but not people, Airport. Yeah, but no one was wearing them. They hung up as souvenirs, aren't no, they? No, you buy them to wear them. 
Really? These are clogs. Yeah, they're not little like keyring clogs. These are clogs. But isn't it wear. more likely then that that guy had been through ship or there? No. What, no. what, he picked up a duck jacks up a pair of and some clogs? Could have been Steve McLaren. It could have been Steve McLaren. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, he's not working at the moment, is he? You know, I'm it's not like sure. this Christmas tree Christmas car park, tree car as park. you say, can you move your car, <laughs> as, as we say. You might yes. be right. Anyway, we finally got a bloody tree, right? But of course, I said, I then said, I then said to her, look, um, you might want to have them cut back the bottom branches a little bit because yeah. we've got one of those stands yeah. and put in water and all that. Yeah. And the guy said, well, if you're going to put it up straight away, he said, I'll make a little cut in the bottom because then the sap will come out and it will be sealed and all that will be good. Right. She said, no, I don't want them to do that. I don't want them to do that. Right. Your missus is quite specific oh, about she's her Christmas very, well, she's half German, you see. Uh, so, so I quite, didn't know that. Yeah, did you not? No, no, no. Yeah, no, no. my mother's German, so right. I she's quarter German. Okay. Anyway, um, so the bottom line is that... Did she um, have three... No, she's Fathers. half German, isn't she? <laughs> no, you're right. She's half German. German. What are you talking about? So she's a quarter German. No, it's German. my kids that are quarter German. <laughs> that's what I can, that's what I can't get right. Anyway, so we get it home, right? And she's like, "I'm not ready." I get out of the car. I'm sorry that this is going to turn into quite a long story. No, but that's right. what it's like. And she goes inside the house, and I'm like, "Okay, I've got the tree. Um, we've got two possible ways of bringing it in: front door that we don't really use, yeah. and then a back door that we do use." I then say, well, you know what? The hell with it. I'll just stand it up outside. I come in. I don't want to bring it in yet. Okay, fine. I'm going to have a cup of tea, sit down, think about it. Oh, no, <laughs> yeah. it's fine. Yeah. I clear the space for it. Um, then bring it in. Put it in the um, <laughs> put it in, in the base, right? Yeah. And then about five minutes, ten minutes later, my youngest is helping her with it. Well, I suddenly just hear this screaming. Yeah. Right, shouting, top of the voice stuff. I'm going, oh, for God's sake, what's the problem? And we've got this basket yeah. thing, which is called a skirt, right. which apparently goes around the tree. Right. Which you're supposed to um, put <laughs> put the tree inside right. before you put the water in the base. Okay. So now we haven't we, we haven't done that, so apparently uh, it's a massive disaster. We, have what, to we haven't put the water in the base? No, the water's in the base, ah. so you can't now move it without spilling all the oh, water. Oh, man. But the School basket boy. hasn't been put in. <gasps> And you can't put it in without... Oh. So you've got to take it out of the base, so pandem- start all over again. Pandemonium. Then she, then she realised <laughs> that she hadn't cut any of the lo- lower branches, so she couldn't get it back out of the base oh, no. without having to chop away... It was just a nightmare. What did you do? Well, we just had a big row yeah. for about did you 10 ex- minutes. And I said, look, yeah. this is not a disaster. We can rescue this, right? She's basically saying, this is all screwed up. We have to start again. We have yeah. to get a Go saw. back and get another Send us the kids out <laughs> looking for the secateurs. Nobody knows where they are. The secateurs? The secateurs. You secateurs. Know, the secateurs, tours, whatever yeah. the fuck they are. Anyway, <laughs> nobody knew where they were. That was the point. I'm like, where are they? Oh, they could be in the shed. Oh, they might be in the log shed. Oh, no. Yeah. They might be in the back room. Yeah. Nobody's seen them. Well, last time I saw them, you, you know, it just went on and in on and on. the empty log shed. Eventually, yeah. Eventually. Yeah, because you can't get any wood from the guy with no teeth. Eventually. It was like about seven o'clock practically before any of this was. Yeah. Only about six hours of decorating Nightmare. it. And it looks great. Does it? But then, of course, it wasn't straight. So <laughs> <laughs> to take it out oh, again. It just went on and on and on. But and you know, don't every you... year we say the same thing. Why don't we just not bother them? I don't think that your politics should make you hate people. But I think, he, to be fair to Campbell, right, and I can't speak for him, but I think he hated Dacre because of what he represented and what he was doing through the Daily Mail, which was. You know, Stacey was a brilliant editor. You, listen, so this is the problem for journalists, yeah. isn't it? Is that, and you're going to have to hear this whole paragraph before you start slagging me off, folks. <laughs> Paul Dacre was a brilliant editor. 
if you are talking about edit the production and the crafting of a newspaper and more importantly getting across your message in very vivid terms yeah. no one better but that doesn't mean he wasn't like a cancer i think in people's really? minds because he's, he his whole business model was about scaring people and 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 making people feel like women had a place and immigrants had a place see, i don't and... agree with that at all i see him completely differently to really you. yeah very much so because after all this is a guy who championed the case of stephen lawrence yeah right? but this is always dragged out and well you can't just not drag no it but out. it was one case and you know the antecedents of that that yeah. stephen lawrence's dad was his was his paul De- dacre's decorator <laughs> yeah right but still and he paid yeah, no attention to it hang on if he was such a cancer on society yeah. he would not have done what you suggest uh, that he did you're saying he did it out of some other reason I rather, he, other than yeah. wanting to uh, actually redress no. the balance of justice do you know what I think he did it out of and again this I think my argument supports it I think he did it because he's such a brilliant journalist mm. and he knew he could with almost without risk Everyone talks about how marvellously mm. brave it was, but he knew there was a stack of evidence against those yeah. those thugs. Yeah. And he knew he without also knew this, they were thugs. Yes, and he could put them on the front page and yeah. say, murderers, sewers, if you don't like Because yeah. he knew a civil court would never find against him. Because the technicality Yeah, but is, he still did it, though. So well, I think you're being slightly disingenuous here. Yes, he did you're, do it. you're using your own prejudice yeah. to belittle something that he did, which was pretty uh, important at the time. Well, also, the other fact on that... I don't disagree no, listen, with you. I, I don't, don't disagree listen, that... Listen, I don't, I don't yeah. say you can't do that. Yeah. But I think, had he had a different point of view politically, yeah. you might not be saying that. Well, yes, no, I wouldn't be saying it, because I, I, I think he's been consistently... Um, borderline psychotic about how he talks to well, he's a workaholic like a lot of these people yeah. and he was very unpleasant to a lot oh, of people very unpleasant. but he wasn't yeah. particularly unpleasant to any particular group of people which tells me well, uh, that he know. was not no, he was what not... about immigrants and Polish no, lorry really. drivers and no, stuff no, I like don't this think so. uh, I don't think so well. I mean uh, you'd have to show me evidence of that the, Daily Mail, yeah. the Daily Mail was a very well um, put together newspaper and a very well put together mm. project if you like why do you think of... they had to get rid of him then because I think they wanted to change the view of the Daily Mail, which has changed quite considerably since he went away. Well, also because a lot of advertisers were walking well, away. Well, I mean, he disputes that, right? Yeah. Because he wrote to the FT yeah. when Geordie Gregg rather unwisely skewered him. Yeah. Um, he said he thought Is, that the young man was being a bit... Uh, uh, economical, economical with the actuality. With the actuality. <laughs> And, I mean, he's a terrible snob. And yeah. he, he, uh, socially quite inept and awkward. Yeah. Um, Maybe I'm just bitter because he never offered me a job. <laughs> well, I mean, when, <laughs> when you find out how much the people who were, were working for were yeah. making. I mean, they were making a ton of money. Of money. Yeah. Unbelievable. Well, I mean, the mail were paying twice what, what yeah. any other paper was yeah. paying. Yeah. I mean, I worked inside Associated Newspapers for a brief period of time yeah. for uh, the Mail on Sunday when Peter um, right. Wright was in yeah. charge, right? Yeah. Um, and I've never seen such largesse. Yeah. I mean, I came from the Mirror. Yeah. You know, did I? No, I came from the Express, sorry, it's before I went to the Mirror, um, where we didn't really have a pot to piss in. You know, yeah. if you wanted money for That's something, right. you had to go whistle for it, you know. Yeah. Um, and I remember I was working on what was then Night and Day magazine, and I was kind of the production editor, stroke assistant editor, whatever, and I was kind of tasked with making it happen. Um, and it was fantastic what happened, because... Yeah. Um, they wanted to revolutionise the world of... Um, and you'll really appreciate this. I don't know if I've ever told you this story. Cool. They wanted to revolutionise the world of TV listings. Yeah. TV listings were always done, for those of you who don't know the difference, in what's called spot colour. So you could only really have one colour. Yeah. So it could be red here or blue there, yeah. but it couldn't be anything else. Yeah. And you couldn't really run you know, colour pictures on the pages because, unfortunately, you'd have to like move them about. Yeah. Which is what they hadn't thought about because yeah. they decided, and they'd gone to Paul Dacre with this plan, 
to make full the first full color TV listings, right? right? And it was going to be printed up in Corby by some place um, that was a commercial printing operation, printed loads of magazines, really high quality, glossy paper. Yeah. We sent them the uh, the dummy, the first dummy, <laughs> yeah. and they said, um, and we had color pictures, right? And they said, um, is this how you're going to do it every week? I said, yeah. I said, it's all been agreed. It's printed. It's brilliant, isn't it? Fantastic. <laughs> they went, um, you know you've got colour changes on the TV pages. Yes. I said, how do you mean? <laughs> they said, well, there's 11 different television regions, That's right? right? Yeah. And if you multiply that by the number of colour changes that you need to make to move yeah. all the pictures every yeah. time something changes, yeah. it will take us a week and a half to print. <laughs> <laughs> what? Christ. Oh, Nobody had thought of this. That right? is brilliant. This is the whole Associated Newspapers empire. That's brilliant. Right to the very top, including the people in the colour studio, yeah. including the editor, yeah. who was Christina Appleyard. And I had to do one of those. Yeah, but... Oh, Christina, can it. I have a word with you? <laughs> yeah. I said, you know, um, the colour... Uh, first time we're ever going to have colour TV listings. Yeah. I said, we can't do it. Yeah. And she went, what do you mean? And I explained it to her. She wasn't technical at all. She didn't even have a computer yeah. because Dacre refused to have a computer. And this was the kind oh, of mantra. Right? Right? Oh, right. So everything had to be printed out yeah. for her. Yeah. She only read stuff that was printed out. Yeah. Do you know what happened? Go on. They didn't tell him. <laughs> I kid you not. We printed the first edition and yeah. the first three, the next three editions. In colour. In London yeah. and in Meridian only. That's brilliant. In colour. That's brilliant. Because that's where Rothermere lived. And where Dacre lived. That is brilliant. And everything else went spot. Do you know what, mate? That is just like <laughs> that is fantastic. But it's just like a story I was told um, in the. I was in the states at a journalism conference uh-huh. last week, and um, they said the. Uh, yeah, it was the owner of the Philadelphia Inquirer. Oh, yeah. I think. Oh no, no, maybe it was the New York Daily News. Yeah, it was the New York Daily News. Okay. And it wasn't. Uh, is that Moore's... still not Mort Zuckerman? No, no, he no, sold it. I think, isn't he? Yes, no, he sold it now, but it was the one before Mort Zuckerman who owned it. Okay. And this guy had been somewhere and had been to a conference or something like that and they'd said to him, the future, the colour of the future is green, mm. right? Everything is going to be branded green and, you know, this, this is in about 1970 or something. Okay. So this guy comes back and says to his distribution manager, I want every single distribution van and every single vending point painted green right and the guy said have you any idea how many vans and vending points there are there's like about four thousand right. right across the whole of right. new york city and the guy said i don't care i want them all painted green so they went away and they costed it up and it was like more than the annual revenue of right. the business or something <laughs> and it would take years so what they did was they knew where this guy lived right and he had a very habitual pattern right. when he was in new york <laughs> Of about three blocks, he'd go yeah. to the office, then he'd go to his favourite restaurant and he'd go home. Right. So they painted all of the vans on that route green, all the vending points green. <laughs> and apparently, I am told, if you go there today, those vans on that That's route brilliant. and those vending points are all still That's green. Brilliant. That sounds like the Kelvin McKenzie plan to drop apples over Paris. Do you remember this one? No. This was when there was some kind of... Um, boycott of apples by right. the French. It was right. a bit like the um, you know the CJD time, they wouldn't allow any British beef right. or lamb into France. Right. There was similarly some kind of boycott yeah. of British apples, right? And so Kelvin had <laughs> oh, the idea. Oh, it was idea. the golden delicious thing, wasn't it? The old, it might have been. They said they weren't proper apples. Yeah, yeah it might have been. Anyway, he had this idea. So, of course, like everything that used to happen under under Kelvin's watch, he dispatched somebody like Stuart Higgins. Right, here's what you're going to find out. 
can we get a couple of thousand apples and uh, can we drop them over Paris, right? And hire a plane, be easy. You take it down to Dover, it's a short hop, you know. It's not, you know well, listen, people said, yeah, actually, that's fine. But we've spoken to people and we've actually worked out that um, the apples will fall on people's heads with the same power yeah. uh, as dropping an anvil. Yeah. It would be like it would be like that cartoon guy, you know. Argh. And he went, no problem. He yeah. said, I've got an. He said, I've got another idea. We'll attach them to tiny parachutes. <laughs> <laughs> so who is he? They actually went to some parachute manufacturer Fantastic. and said, Can you make a thousand miniature parachutes for, the, for, for some apples? apples? And they went, oh my God. Are you fucking ridiculous? Yeah. Are you mad? Yes. So said, Do you Switch know how this answers. works? Yes, of course. Yeah. Yeah. You can't drop a parachute, and a, a, you can't put a parachute on an apple, one, unless it's really massive. Right. And you therefore can't <laughs> drop a load of apples yeah. just out of the back of a plane. Who's going to yeah. pull the, the who's, cord? Who's I mean, you know, pull the cord? No, you know, they wasted like weeks well, on this planet. Well, I'm you sure know. you could have done it without having to put it in the backpack. <laughs> you could have just locked it out. <laughs> We are at risk now of, if we're just a load of office-bound processors of mm. press releases, mm. that we lose that fabric of the community yeah. thing, which is the whole bloody yeah. point. 